Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Alexis Harrison and Maria Weingarten started an organization. It's now I think it's well over a year old, called ct169strong.org, which uh, they will explain, but I know is largely in response to uh, some policy initiatives that have been coming from Hartford with respect to centralizing a lot of land use decisions and changing our laws. Uh, They join us now to educate us about where we are in this legislative process this session. Hello, Alexis Harrison, Maria Weingarten. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Lisa. Thanks for having us on again. So I don't know if you heard my rant about the trees and the whales and the birds. I did. But, I mean, really, I mean, let me start with you, Alexis. Am I crazy between the whales and the birds and the trees? It's like we're making a massive assault on the planet. Absolutely. And and that's one thing that we've noticed about these zoning bills. Um, You know, land is inherently local. And, you know, actually the state, the state actually wants to preserve land. You know, I think we've seen statistics actually that they have a goal every year. And from what I understand, they're falling short of preserving land every year. But none of these zoning bills actually have carve-outs when it comes to environmental protection, protecting water resources, and a host of other things that we really need to survive. We need wetlands. We need we need all these things to survive as humans, as do the habitats. So that's one thing that we've really noticed. And what we haven't seen are environmental groups really understand or you know, articulate those shortcomings of the bill. Because once land is developed, it's permanent. You know, we can't make land again. So it's been very troubling. Um, open space preservation is crucial to our survival. And um, again, it's just not been you know, front and center with these bills. Have you been focusing? We had a gentleman by the name of Dan Lent on the show a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he happened to be on a committee that he felt um, had an agenda setting thing, which he terribly objected to. But this was a committee that had to do with enlarging the amount of sewer um, capacity so that it would basically not have to have the oversight of a lot of local flood and erosion control and lands and wetlands commissions in towns. And he felt that this bill, which is being proposed in Hartford, really did a very effective end run about around a lot of environmental protections. Uh, Alexis, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? I, I am. I am. And I know, I know, Danielle, um, he's been very active in the Eastern community and he's actually raised a lot of important concerns about the sewers. And I know that he's actually had a lot of concerns with Fairfield County because we're not like the rest of the state. 
we actually have a lot of pretty bad conditions when it comes to the Bridgeport Harbor. Um, there are a lot of different issues. I know that he talked about pollution happening. Um, so, and I know Maria has been following this issue as well, so she can talk to that too. Yeah, Maria, what do you know about this? And is that bill going to become law this session? Well, it's very possible. It's um, There's two bills, actually, that we're watching that contain this information. It's SB 1001 and, and um, uh, the majority leader, Senator Rojas' bill, SB 6781, also has that very same language in there um, regarding expansion of the sewer capacity and to move the oversight um, from the um, the DE was the deep the, from deep over to the Department of Health, and so there's just really concerns about that and the fact that we haven't studied that uh, as as a state and and knowing you know this bill is not a new bill it's been around um, at least a few sessions if not more. And, you know, we, we noticed in the past and we've done some research that there had been failures of these systems in Massachusetts, in Rhode Island, in New York State. And what ends up happening is when there's a failure of these alternative systems, so it's when there isn't a sewer in place, you could try to create a larger septic system with a larger tank. But when you have um, a, a small housing association, they don't have the sophistication and understanding that these are highly technical um, systems that need really good oversight and maintenance and review, annual review. And so when they fail, um, a lot of times these um, uh, housing uh, you know, associations will, will go belly up. And then it ends up becoming a burden upon the municipality or upon the region or upon the state. And so we just don't want that to happen here in Connecticut as well. And what was the, what would be the incentive? Who was behind trying to change the existing law? Well, the idea is, again, to build density, right? I and see. And so... You've got certain bills that are forcing density into transit areas, and then you have other bills like fair share, which is really pushing enormous density, but it's not telling you where to put it. So when you have that situation, where are you going to put it if you don't have enough on your sewers? Well, if you create these alternative septics and you loosen the regulations, it allows you higher density and have multiple houses in an area that doesn't have sewer all connected to one system one alternative system which then you would need to have good maintenance and supervision and technical expertise to make sure that these systems do not fail so it's it's an infrastructure end run but it really hasn't been properly tested or vetted by the state that's the position right that's your position. correct Correct. when you have this group that has been formed by the state under the premise that they're there to look at these things and to analyze a sewerage committee is actually, the, I think, the name of it. Yes. And, and they're not actually even looking at it. As, and Dan Lent would be better to speak on this because he, he was in, on the committee. Very but, frustrating. You know, it was very, very frustrating. Yeah, because you're not you're not having a discussion on it. You're not actually analyzing anything. You're just rubber stamping things. We're chatting with Alexis yeah, and Harrison that, and Marie Weingarten. Go ahead, Alexis. Yep. Yeah, I was just going to say that the commission that, that Dan sat on the subcommittee is called the Commission on Connecticut's Development and Future. And this was created, I think, two years ago. 
in order to evaluate just various policies related to land use, conservation, and affordability. But the issue is these, these working groups are called have really been packed with housing advocates, and you don't really have an even group of people to, you know, like environmental experts, engineers, you know, people who are really, you know, smart in these areas. So they actually have just an end goal is just to create more density in Connecticut, and they're using this commission as one of the vehicles. I see. So speaking of the fair share, Maria, which you just alluded to, Greenwich Free Press published an article this morning. Uh, They're really taking a look at this in Greenwich. Uh, Greenwich currently has eight active 830G applications, some of them, some of the alone, each of them offering perhaps over 800 units, in other words, Collectively, a lot, a lot of different units. Um, and this particular article in the Greenwich Free Press talks about House Bill 6633, a.k.a. Fair Share. And uh, the bill has been passed out of the Housing Committee. It's been called punitive by Greenwich First Selectman Fred Camillo. Greenwich's Tara Restieri, who was identified here as a member of your organization, CT169 Strong, calling it a, quote, blank check to developers. And Francis Pickering of Westcog, the Western Connecticut Council of Governments, described Fair Share as, quote, the worst bill he'd seen in 15 years. So, and he goes into why, and I think we're going to invite him on the show to talk about this. But um, let's talk about Fair Share a little bit. Maria, let me begin with you. What do you want people to know? Obviously, you're opposed to this, but why? So um, here's, here's what I want people to know. So what, what's frustrating to us is that we're trying to let everybody know what's in the bills. When you look at everybody who's pushing these bills, no one is telling everybody what their number is. How many fair shares are you going to be required to build? And this information was available from two years ago. So you can look it up on their website. We've actually pulled that information Put it together with all of your 830G information. So we encourage everybody to go to our website to look at ct169strong.org and click on fair share calculation, and you will see a worksheet that has all of this information for you. We've also provided you, well, how are you going to implement that? Because you have this set number of units that you have to build. And what are your options? Because you can either build them yourself, and it costs a town about 650000 per unit to build in the current market. Um, and that means trying to get federal funding or state funding to help with tax credits and different things that you can do when you're building affordable. Because these units are, in theory, all affordable that you're going to be mandated to build. And they are an enormous number. Um, New Canaan's number, for instance, is 1,350 units. And, you know, yeah, Pickering says fair share would build over 120,000 units statewide. He says it's enough for 300,000 people in 10 years. Connecticut's population has been flatlining. There's no reason to Mm -hmm. believe we need housing for 300,000 people over the next 10 years. That, to me, is a a big piece of this. I I really believe that people are... um, how can I put this? You know, when I drive around a lot of places, including where I live in Westport, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of pockets of impervious spaces of 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 let's say parking lots that are underutilized that are too big, or in Bridgeport, block after block of what look to be abandoned spaces where an imaginative developer, an imaginative coalition, or just a private developer 
could break ground and redevelop and make something really nice in an existing neighborhood or area that's already developed and already dense mm-hmm. enough to accommodate more. I don't understand why there's this push to keep breaking ground in new places when we have to conserve the land and habitat we have. I, I don't, the policy, you know what I'm saying? The policy behind it to me should be encouraging redevelopment of existing buildings. That's my opinion. Agreed. Alexis, yeah. what do you think? And also, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you, Lisa. And another piece to fair share that they're not talking about as well is that this actually would subject municipalities to lawsuits if you fail to meet this very stringent, affordable really? housing goal. So th- this would fall on the towns to pay for lawyers, to pay for court fees and whatnot. Um, you know, and this is modeled after the New Jersey fair share um, legislation. And that's the only state in our country that has adopted such legislation. And as we've seen in New Jersey, hundreds of municipalities have been sued and are subject to various court orders. And uh, we, we call the fair share bill the unfair share bill. And it's also the largest unfunded mandate since, since education has been adopted. So this is all falls on the town. I know in Fairfield, our, our, I think our town budget would probably quadruple over the next several years in order to develop, you know, our so-called fair share. Do you think so the when fair you look- share passes that it will, that there'll be um, some kind of a backlash or response from a lot of different municipalities? Like what do you foresee happens if they pass fair share? Do you think the next legislature will amend it? Do you think the governor won't sign it? Do you think there'll be a lot of lawsuits? I mean, what do you, what do you think will happen? What we know in New Jersey has created a great deal of lawsuits because anybody can sue. Uh, an interested party is considered any housing advocacy, nonprofit, or developer who is willing to put 20% affordable deed restricted for 40 years. So this is going to create a great deal of lawsuits. Um, it, it's also, we know in New Jersey that I believe there's nine uh, municipalities that are regions, I guess, that are, are suing the state over this uh, bill. Um, over the policy that they have. So we know that this is going to create just a ton of litigation and, and or, or it's going to force and strong arm towns into kind of reaching settlements because you don't want to, because there are also the ability in this bill says that you can, um, that, that whoever is um, the, the plaintiff in this case, the developer or the, the interested party can get additional relief so they can get punitive damages as well. And they wouldn't you know- have even had to broken ground. You know, it reminds me. Years ago, I used to broadcast out of Westchester County. And Westchester County, I mean, New York is a countywide state. And HUD, the, you know, federal HUD had mandated uh, um, something in the course of 450,000 affordable housing units that they wanted to be built in Westchester County alone. It was a massive amount. And the county executive director at the time, Rod Astorino, refused to do it. He sued. Um, He said it was unreasonable. It was an unreasonable federal mandate. It was, you know, he just said it was, he said that he was doing his best to encourage affordable housing. They had built several thousand affordable housing uh, complexes and units, but there was, they couldn't do anything on the scale of what the feds wanted them to do. And what he did as a strategy, frankly, is he just threw a lot of lawyers at it for years and years and years and years 
until eventually there was some kind of a settlement, which was then appealed and appealed and appealed. I don't know that the issue will ever really go away, but I can tell you there was such, there was such staunch opposition to this federal mandate that it didn't get done. It didn't get done. They, they, they just, people put their heels in and they said, we're not going to do this. And when I see these kinds of laws come in through Connecticut, I just wonder what's going to happen. What's going to be the response here? I don't know. Yeah, we, we were actually talking, we had a webinar on Sunday night um, with, with a number of local leaders, including Senator um, Jeff Gordon, who represents uh, the Quiet Corridor, Northwestern Connecticut, up in Woodstock. It's mostly farmland. And, you know, some of those towns only see four or five building permits a year. Mm-hmm. The demand to, to build there is just not there. There are very few jobs. There's just, you know, a lot of young people don't want to go there. Um, the economics are just not feasible to live there for some people, which is fine. But they would still be required to probably build a couple hundred um, affordable housing units under the fair share, despite no, no demand. So I, I just don't think we want to create more policies that just generate litigation and waste more money. We really need to get back to brass tacks and create policies that work and incentivize, you know, building of affordable housing units. The laws that we've had just haven't worked. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. We're with Alexis Harrison and Maria, Maria Weingarten. We're discussing fair share and a number of bills coming through the legislature in Hartford. Now, I just want to clarify what I said because I probably exaggerated my memory, but I wanted to look it up. So what happened was Westchester County had had a court-ordered 2009 settlement to meet fair housing requirements, and the federal officials who had brought them to the table really wanted Westchester to comply. But Rob Astorino, who was then the, um, and, and the Westchester County, and he was supported by a lot of people behind him, obviously, um, he said, we're not going to do it. We are going to settle and we will build 750 units in largely white communities within Westchester County, but we're not going to build these thousands and thousands that this 2009 settlement by a court ordered us to do. And I just want you to know that I, I looked up an article from 2017, and here was, and here's the headline. For Westchester, the 11th time is the charm in fight over fair housing. They had to go back 11 times. And you're talking major resources and investment of time and lawyers to fight over this. So I just wanted to be clear about it. I mean, they just basically, they dug their heels in and they said no. And eventually, with the passage of time, they reached a compromise that they could live with. And that's how they did it. That was it. Yeah. Lisa, you know, if we take a macro look at this, I, I think the greatest frustration as a realtor when I think about these things is that Connecticut is a very diverse 
in terms of its market conditions. So you've got Fairfield County that is regionally very close to New York Metro. So many people still work and are connected to that economic engine, right? So so you've got an area where there's higher demand, higher salaries, um, higher land cost as a result as well in this area of Fairfield County. Then you have other areas of Connecticut where it's it's a different market, where we're lagging um, in our in our market, and we're actually, relatively speaking, our land cost is less, our property costs are lower than the other states around us. So if you compare those areas outside of Fairfield County, so so the question becomes, what are the real solutions here to, to improve affordability? And that's what's really not being addressed, is that these solutions are, are sort of a one-size solution. And if you implement them in an area where there's higher demand, you're only going to get developers coming in and taking advantage, creating high-end, and then we're only going to also have just very low end, you know, so like meaning like affordable. So like you're going to lose that whole middle housing, whatever's I left of middle saying. housing, naturally affordable. And that's the greatest concern that we have is is that you need hyper local solutions based on the market conditions that exist in different areas because different different solutions would work better in different areas. Mm-hmm. And that's what's frustrating to all of us. Yeah. And so as you look at the um, votes, and I'm sure you're looking at the votes, the mm-hmm. fair share bill came out of committee. Um, will it be, my first question is, is it coming before the floor? We don't know that yet, quite yet. Um, I know there are a lot of meetings happening behind closed doors in the Capitol right now, but I would say fair share is definitely in play right now with a, with a few other bills that we're very concerned about, including the desegregate um, Work live ride bill. Oh yeah, talk about um, that. Everything what, is in what, play. Which one is that one? Talk about that. We haven't spoken about that. Yeah, sure. That's HB six eight nine zero, and that's been also promoted by by housing advocates, uh, the desegregate group. Um, and work live ride um, is an opt in. One hundred and sixty three of the one hundred and sixty nine towns would be invited to opt in. Um, it would. And it would have. And what happens if they don't of- opt in? I like the way you said invited to opt in. So what happens if they don't opt in? <laughs> yeah, I is use there that a stick quotes. or is it strictly a carrot approach? There, What's- there is a big, there is a big stick. Um, they would actually, they would lose um, Brownfield and Steep Grants. So you know, a number of towns have Brownfields, but they would lose that the remediation money that they would get from the government. So there's a big stick tied to that. Um, and also, you would have to um, report into a housing czar. A housing czar, this newly appointed position, would also have a lot of say on what you build if you do opt in. Um, this is called this is a transit-oriented development um, bill. But we also know a lot of towns in Connecticut have have built you know great transit-oriented development. I know that we've got, we're doing that in Fairfield. Darian has been doing it. So you know, it's actually a lot of towns that are taking the initiative will be actually penalized. Um, by by the termination of these um, important grants. If they're already doing it, how come they're not getting credit for what they're already doing? I'm confused. Good question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I mean, really. I mean, really, there's there's no sort of accounting for any kind of commitment to already building these kinds of developments? 
It's interesting. In one of the testimonies that we heard, desegregate Connecticut was actually citing some COD examples in, in Connecticut, and they actually cited the one in Darien, which has been created by the town of Darien, not by any policy, any group, any you know government mandate. They've been doing it on their own, which was very interesting. Um, you know, and I and I think we have to reevaluate that. Is TOD the right direction? I like TOD, but we also know since COVID, a lot of people are working from home. You know, a lot of habits have changed. They have. So maybe we should be doing a feasibility study if we really need this. Commercial um, commercial buildings in New York City are still less than they were um, in the first year of COVID. In other words, they've come back somewhat, but they are only at about 60% of occupancy compared to pre-COVID. 60%. Yeah. That is enormous. That is a huge shift in people's lives and their habits and what they're doing. And a lot of people aren't commuting in on maybe they're not going in on a Monday or a Friday. I learned that during my election when I showed up on a Monday morning at 5 a.m. for the trains and everybody said, oh, no. Oh, no. You missed it, Lisa. You should have come on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They're out. Only three days a week are people actually regularly commuting from Westport. That's right down from five yeah, and another issue with the tod bill it's all about residency it's not about commercial development retail and that's the great thing about tod it creates this whole little community so where are people going to shop where are people going to go grocery shopping you know they're not going to be able to use metro north to go down to the stop and shop so we just don't have that kind of rapid transit that the bill describes that we have so there's uh, a big fallacy there Right, because some of the towns that are being caught up in this net are, are towns that maybe have bus service one day, one, one, once a day. So how, how is that enough for uh, considered transit that someone can use it? Um, and often, I, I'm sure you know this, it's, it's really if you're doing transit development, it's, the, it's that first and last mile. So it's, it's great to have housing that's near transit, but it also has to end up somewhere where it's near your work, near hospitals, near schools, near all those other things that you might need. And if you don't have that spider web of mass local transit to support all of that, you know, you're, you're, you're missing the boat here. So, Maria, so that's, Maria, we've got about a minute to wrap up. What is the, um, if any action step that you would have our listeners do, if they want to find out more, if they want to do anything, if they're opposed to you, if they agree with you, uh, is there a place you want them to show up? Is there a legislator or a bill number you want them to? What would you like them to do? We would love you to go to our website. Uh, so ct169strong.org. There's, uh, you can c- contact your legislators. There's a red button right there. You click on that, and it'll let you send an email directly to your legislator. We are encouraging everyone to call email or even write a letter to your legislators because by next week some of these bills may start ending up um, on the floor so we really want everybody to let their legislators know that they care about these issues that they know what's going on and that they're watching what they're doing ct169strong.com is your website thank you so much ladies alexis harrison and marie weingarten for being on the show Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com. 